FYI, this podcast contains spoilers. Hey everybody, welcome to episode 443 of the podcast The Ghost Nick. I'm your host, Jason Venable, and we're going to talk about Heroes Reborn. Uh, if you came to this episode just for the title, you might be a little disappointed because um, I'm probably not going to spend the majority of the time on it, but we will definitely talk about it a little bit because while I don't know for sure whether it's an alternate reality or a pocket universe like the original Heroes Reborn from the 90s or, or what, but... um. Since I don't know, I'm going to go and treat it like these are appearances by our characters in some sort of universe. And so I'm going to talk about the Wolverine characters and Wolverine adjacent characters and even the little Gambit's gumbo uh, as they as they apply. So we're also going to kind of clear our dance card for the Hell, Hellfire Gala. So we'll do a little bit of that as well. Um, so Heroes Reborn. I've not really read all of it. <laughs> uh, I've read the issues we're going to talk about, for sure. But for most of the event, I just kind of skimmed through, flipped through pages a little bit. There's been some tasty art in some of it, but a lot of it looks like just kind of more of Jason Aaron's run. I'm kind of like, hey, wouldn't it be cool if I combined this and this? Which, his Avengers run has been a lot of that, right? It's She-Hulk driving... Ghost Rider's car, but Ghost Rider's a spaceship now. And, and, you know, or Moon Knight has the Phoenix, or everybody has the Phoenix, you know. Um, or, you know, anyway, all those kind of mashups that Jason Aaron has done on his Avengers run, most of which has had really good art, so it's at least been fun to look at. And it's not entirely bad, it's just I don't... I haven't really enjoyed the stories. I know a lot of people really have. So kudos to you guys. I'm glad. Glad it's been fun. Um, Heroes Reborn kind of just feels like an extension of that. You know, at its most base, there's a Blade wakes up in a different universe, and he's trying to figure out what's going on, and he is finding maybe some heroes that kind of remember, like they thought Captain America was never recovered, but he finds an old bearded Steve Rogers and, and is trying to like awaken some of the other heroes and there's a whole like history and timeline that goes with all of this and so there's been some interesting nuggets of things that I've seen whipping through the issues but um we're really going to pick up with Magneto and the Mutant Force number one that's kind of the first one we'll really talk about um let me get to the title card here oh yep Magneto and the Mutant Force Beware, Psychic Rescue in Progress, written by Steve Orlando, art by Bernard Cheng, colors by David Curiel, letters by VCs Clayton Cowles, and then Nick Bradshaw and Rochelle Rosenberg do the cover. And the cover is fine. I mean, I like Bradshaw in general. Here we have the Magneto's mutant force attacking Hyperion. And so is Magneto, Rogue, Frenzy, um, oh gosh, what's the Israeli superhero's name? I can't think of it right off the top of my head, and then Emma Frost. And they're attacking uh, Hyperion, who of course is like the leader of the the 
Squadron Supreme, which is the Avengers that exist in this universe. So we have here that we have a, a mutant massacre day, not not the old storyline from the sewers, but a day that mutants rose up from the rights and the Squadron Supreme squashed them down in Washington, D.C. with a lot of casualties. Um, one of those casualties was Professor X and Magneto was paralyzed instead. So he's the leader of the Magneto force, the Magneto mutant force, sorry. Um, but he is in a wheelchair like Professor X was. And then Emma Frost is around and they talk about kind of their bad memories of the Mutant Massacre Day when Charles was killed and Magneto was paralyzed and how they're continuing to be an underground resistance and trying to be a safe haven for mutants, but maybe they need to do more. And so they break Emma Frost out of prison. They know that's going to send, you know, the squadron coming, but they think it's worth the risk. I will say, the art and colors in this book are really, really good. Um, Phantom X is the security force, the Phantom Force. <laughs> um, but they, they dispatch that pretty easily. And so what happens is Magneto feels like he has part of Xavier inside of him. So he rescues Emma to try to find that sliver and do like some group combination of, of powers. Uh, Jubilee, there's a part where she's shooting off her fireworks. It looks great. It looks like almost like a paintball coming out, like paintball splatters coming out of her hand. And it looks really cool. Nice, uh, nice rainbow uh, artwork there. Anyway, um, so, so they they go in to I guess it's, they go back to the mansion or no the place on the island M in the Bermuda Triangle. They have their base and they're in the library, and Emma Frost is going to try to help Magneto and Rogue and Jubilee and Frenzy navigate Magneto's psyche, and they see remnants of Xavier, and so they're kind of wandering through trying to figure out. But as each of them are killed, like, inside Magneto's mind, they're awakened in the outside world, and they find out that the squadron has tracked them down. So there's a fight inside Magneto's head, and then also outside on the grounds. Um, we also find out that Rogue, instead of absorbing Carol Danvers, absorbed the Super Scroll. So she has those powers, shape-shifting permanently. That's kind of an interesting twist. Um... Yeah, so there's an intruder alert on the outside, so they're fighting both inside and outside Magneto's mind, and they find inside the subconscious, by the way, there's lots of swirly art inside his mind, it looks really cool, like the borders are swirly, and we see Xavier's mansion with the original five X-Men, which is interesting because instead Cyclops is replaced by Legion. So that's an interesting little twist as well. Uh, see some more really cool Jubilee art um, she looks great, and her the colors really pop for her, much like her fireworks. And but eventually they get in through. Uh, there's also Gambus in here somewhere. I think I skipped right by his page, but um, yeah, he was. He's in here as well. Uh, he's part of the the mutant population at this time. I think he was in actually in the very very beginning scene. Yes, uh, from the mutant massacre. He's you know fighting on behalf of the mutants, obviously. And that's really all he is. That's really the only thing he's in. Um, so they continue to fight both inside and out and then as the mutants are kind of getting slaughtered a little bit by Hyperion and Suprema um, 
Xavier, I'm sorry, Magneto finds Xavier's body and he thinks he's awakening Xavier, but then Xavier attacks him and says, you silly fool, it's not me. I just made it sound like me. And, of course, out there, out on the outside, people start disintegrating, which I kind of thought, oh, it's going to be Onslaught. But it's not. It's Cassandra Nova. And, you know, she comes out. And I guess, I didn't know there was two issues of this, but there, I guess there are. Um, and so, yeah, so she comes out. And she has Magneto's helmet. I guess she, like, disintegrated. There's, like, a purple explosion. And then she's in this purple mist with Magneto's helmet with her nice little uh, Nazi pants. I don't know. <laughs> That's probably not the right word for those pants. But the old, uh, I guess they're horse rider pants. Like, like, like legit horse riders, like show horses and stuff. Um, anyway, I think of because Kate Blanchett wore them in the, uh, the bad Indiana Jones movie. Um, but yeah, that's it. So, the story was fine. I mean, it's fine. I mean, the dialogue's good. Orlando did a good job I'm mean, playing in the universe. I wouldn't mind, you know. He's a good writer. He can maybe do some normal normal continuity stuff. But anyway, uh, there's some nice little twists. And I really did think it was going to be Onslaught. So that was a nice kind of a little surprise I didn't see coming with Cassandra Nova. Maybe everyone else did, but I didn't. I, I really thought we were going towards Onslaught, especially with with him maybe coming back in somehow as a separate entity on Krakoa, maybe. So I thought they might, you know, tie that together. But yeah, Cassandra Nova, interesting. Um, you know, in a timeline where she may actually, like, do some... I don't know, do some, some bad stuff on with the mutants now that they're, you know, oppressed again in this world. Um, so, the story's fine. The, the story's fine. The dialogue's pretty good. The plot itself is fine. Uh, the art is really what sells this book. Uh, like I said, both the, the art by Chang and the colors by Curiel. Um, and just, it, it really pops. It's a really good-looking book. Um, I'm going to give it, since it's a Gambit appearance, we'll do a Gambit's Gumbo score. I'm going to do three out of four aces. I mean, it was fun enough. I enjoyed it. I'm not particularly fussed about Heroes Reborn, like I said, and it wouldn't hurt my feelings. I mean, I don't need for there to be an issue, too, but I'll pick it up. Sure, why not? So, anyway, yeah, uh, three out of four spades for Magneto and the Mutant Force number one. So that's going to take us then, not that one, hold on, to the Heroes Reborn Siege Society number one, which features Sabretooth. Or not features, but has Sabretooth. Um, so this is written by Cody Ziegler, who I'm not familiar with. Art by Paco Medina, who I really like. Colors by Pete Pantazitz. Pantasis, maybe? I don't know. Um, and then letters by VCs Joe Sabino, and the cover is by Ken Lashley and Brian Reaver. And this cover is fine. It's, uh, it's a typical team shot with blue action lines that are jumping out of the cover. We have Baron Zemo with his sword high, and we have a version of Black Widow, uh, Scarlet Witch, and Quicksilver kind of combined. Uh, the evil Ant-Man, not not Fire Ant, but maybe it is Fire Ant in this one, um, but I guess the Ant guy, 
and then uh, Hawkeye, and then Sabretooth jumping out in front. It has some pretty good cover. Um, it looks pretty good. Alright, so in this one, we have... I mean, it's kind of basically like their take on the Thunderbolts, right? And this team used to work for... Or no, no, they, that's the... So they add... You think the narration in the beginning is from... Zemo and his team, but you find out really is Nighthawk and maybe he and uh, Hyperion are not completely in sync together. But uh, Baron Zemo has hired the Siege Society as a team of mercenaries and he's trying to reestablish Hydra. And he finds this secret base for the Squadron Supreme underneath the London Towers, London Bridges falling down. Um, it turns out the Nighthawk left him a, a trail of breadcrumbs so he could take Zemo, he could draw Zemo out and take him out without having to spend resources and manpower and possibly casualties hunting him down. Um, so really, I mean, there's a whole lot of like band tour with our hero villains. Um, so the, the team consists of Baron Zemo, Supremacist Supreme, <laughs> kind of a fun description. Um, we have Black Widow, the Silver Witch, like I said, she's she's Scarlet Witch, but she also has speed powers, and she casts really fast spells, which I don't know about that. And it is Fire Ant, I was right. Uh, and then Hawkeye, of course. And then uh, Soviet Agent, and his name is like, is something like John Wachowicz or something. It's kind of weird. Kind of, I can't tell the book was trying to be funny or was just kind of unintentionally funny. I, I mean, I I think it was trying to, it wasn't like a comedy book, it's not like Deadpool, but there's definitely some some kind of snicker moments throughout there, and of course Sabretooth is, is the, the bruiser of the team. So they show up, they pop in, they do bad guy stuff. I mean, Sabretooth's just kind of typical, like classic Sabretooth, just kind of mean and nasty, and just likes to hurt people, um, and he gets a chance to do it. The, the costume design here for him is kind of interesting. It's kind of a cross between like his 90s costume, but the more modern hairstyle, like the really long hair. But it's a brown and black costume, and, but he has the, like the fur on the shoulders. And like more reminiscent of the, of the 80s and, and early 90s costume. But then it also kind of looks like the one that uh, Greg Land and Ken Lashley did for uh, their run on Uncanny. Right? That's the book he was in, <laughs> I think, during the, um, the blue and gold days. I don't know. Anyway. Um, so, yeah. So, he, look, he looks pretty great. Medina, I mean, Medina does a great job with the art. Uh, and the colors look pretty good as well. So, again, this book is visually more interesting than the actual story but basically uh, the team continues to get in they find uh, Tom Thumb who's the security guard they take him out and they actually kill some of the good guys here we have some new guys like Amphibian who has water powers there's a lot of a lot of fun with Hawkeye um, you know playing around uh, the poor Aquarian gets beheaded uh, we, we have we recreate the fire ant on Hawkeye's arrow thing back from that old Avengers cover and then of course also in the movies uh, with Ant-Man and Hawkeye where he flies on the arrow 
um, Nighthawk is, you know, kind of tracking this with uh, the Blur, who's, a, I guess, kind of like the Flash. Um, no, he is. He is like the Flash. I forgot his name was the Blur. There's a guy called Blue Eagle. He's not explicitly said to be Warren Worthington, but he's a guy with wings and he's blonde. Uh, so, one can imply that he is uh, the Worthy, Warren Worthington III. Um, yeah, I mean, Saber Teeth continues to be nasty. He gets shot by the Golden Archer, who actually looks pretty great. And I love that he's part of this because I think he was part of the classic team like back in the 70s. And there was also that identity that Clint used when he uh, tried to get Nomad to take back up the... Or no, he convinced Steve to still be a hero. And that's why he took up the Nomad costume. Um, it was because of the Golden Archer identity that Hawkeye assumed. But this this design looks really cool. It's black with like gold boots and gloves and trim on the arrows and stuff. It looks really nice. He shoots Sabretooth but of course in the eye. Of course he heals. And there's there's a fun like arrow duel off where they're like fire arrow, ice arrow, damn it, triple arrow, quadruple arrow. And they just keep one upping each other. And it's pretty fun. Um yeah, uh, just more great art as we go through this. Uh, Black Widow kind of says, you know, hey, pay us. You do what you want. We're not here to fight the Squadron Supreme. We're going to extract our team. And they work on doing that. And then um, there's a really great page where Saber 2 fights Nighthawk. And it's, it looks fantastic. And um, yeah, continue to kind of roll through that. You know, it's fun. It's a fun issue. Lots of nastiness. Uh, Scarlet Witch teleports uh, the board to Poland and says, you don't know why we're really here. And then uh, Nighthawk uh, fights Baron Zemo, the big final confrontation. The art on these pages says one, two, then an, then an interruption, then three, four, five pages of their fighting. It looks really fantastic. Um... It's really, really great. Um, and yeah. Then at the end, they kind of talk about, hey, you know, no, no real harm done. Our plan worked. We, but we, the blur calls Nighthawk out that they lost some of the, not only like general manpower, but they're actually team members. And he's pretty upset about that. Um, and Nighthawk just kind of sits in his throne and mopes, I guess. Um, anyway, uh, the story is pretty good. The band tour is pretty fun. Um, I mean, it's a pretty, pretty simple little mission. You know, Baron Zemo tries to take over the base, finds out that he was brought there on purpose just to be defeated, and you know, kind of gets his ass handed to him. Um, which is always fun. The art is amazing. Like, it's just really, really good. And the action's really good, and the art, uh, the colors work really well. Uh, Sabretooth feels like Sabretooth. I miss Sabretooth. We're going to get him out of the pit in real life. Or real life. In, in the current universe. Um, but yeah, I think... I'd be mean, willing to give this a pretty hearty 4 out of 6 claws. Um, you know, I enjoyed it. It was fun. So, nice fun issue. So that is going to be our Heroes Reborn coverage, at least for now. There's still a few more weeks left of the event. I think Wolverine will be in a book. It's uh, not called Alpha Flight. It's called something else. Oh, we'll get there. No, I think I have a checklist. Hold on. 
Checklist, checklist. Weapon X and Final Flight. Yeah. So, yeah, we'll definitely talk about that when we get to it. And I don't know if any of these other characters will show up in the main series. They haven't yet. Um, but if they do, you know, I'll keep my eyes peeled and I'll pick up the issues I need to. And we'll, we'll cover them here on the podcast. So, that's going to be it, though, for right now for Heroes Reborn. Um, so, yeah. So, next up, we're going to look at Wolverine number 12. I'm going to kind of, not permanently, but uh, kind of temporarily wrap up uh, the Vampire story and get ready for the Hellfire Gala. Um, and then, you know, it looks like the Vampire story will pick back up later. So we'll definitely follow that along when we get there. But um, Wolverine number 12 is going to be written by Benjamin Percy, of course. Uh, This is Blood in the Bank or Penumbra. So written by Benjamin Percy, pencils by Scott Eaton, inks by J.P. Meyer with Oren Jr., colors by Matthew Wilson, letters by VCs Corey Pettit, and designed by Tom Mueller. Adam Kubert and Frank Martin do the cover. And on the cover, we have Wolverine in a science tube with lots of blood wires and wires coming out and feeding the audience, including Count Dracula. So he's the blood bank, and they're using his blood, remember, to try to walk in the day. But the cool thing about this cover is it's actually upside down. So if you turn it over, Wolverine's hanging upside down in the tube, and the audience of vampires is is below him. But then when you look at it in the cover, the printed way, Wolverine's right side up. And the, uh, the vampires are upside down, which I guess, you know, bats hang upside down, so maybe they're, they're hanging. I don't know. <laughs> but anyway, either way, it's a cool cover. Uh, pretty good. So here we're back in Paris, and Wolverine is with his vampire hunting lady friend. Um, Louise. Yes, Louise. Um, and the... And, there's kind of like subtle like sexual attention, but nothing too too strong. Um, and Wolverine's like, "Hey, you can fight this. I've been fighting pain inside all my life, so you can do it." And then we get a, a double snicked as the the priest shows up and attacks because he's a vampire. And you know, now oh, I guess you know to to remind, Louise was was turned and is trying to fight the turning. Um, so she can continue to slay vampires. And Wolverine talks about the kids we met in the Minnesota wilderness. Uh, the punk vampire kids who kind of figured out a way to get around, you know, drawing human blood and to, you know, satisfy their hunger with animals and stuff. Um, Wolverine's like, they can do it, you can do it too. Plus, you know, I'm, I'm a beast inside. And... So then we hear from this James Boggs, who I hope is related to Wade Boggs. Um, and he talks about how he's helping Dracula develop Wolverine's blood into this formula that will save them. And there's a lot of like really specific like medicinal explanation here on how Wolverine's blood works with the healing factor and how it works with vampire blood and kind of the pseudoscience behind that. It's an interesting text piece. Um, the Wolverine continues to fight the vampire on the roof of the cathedral and eventually impales him with a giant wooden cross. Um, and it's kind of a fun scene. It reminds me of like a TV or a movie. 
because he impales him, and then we get a panel of just all these bats flying out of the cathedral. <laughs> so it's kind of kind of definitely reminds you of like a TV show, right? Uh, the vampire dies, and all the birds fly away, but all or all the bats fly away. Um, so we find out that you know, of course, Dracula. You know, all the way back to even the series in the seventies. You know his his minions can hear his voice. So Louise is not only fighting her tendency, but fighting his mental commands as well. And then um, Omega Red shows up at Doctor Boggs' lab and says, "Hey, maybe we can work together. And not worry about Drac. I don't like the way Dracula was screwing me over. You don't like the way Dracula was screwing you over. Maybe we can figure this out. Maybe we can give him what he wants. Wolverine." And then, uh, so, I don't, you know, they don't really explain why the exception, but Wolverine takes Louise to Krakoa, and I guess all vampires are mutants in a way, so that's, that's how she can get through the gate or whatever, or maybe he actually swims her up to the physical shore, I don't know. Um, but she's there, and Forge helps her build basically like a, a deep sea diver suit but for vampires, so it gives her, what does she say here, um, a constructed sunblock biosuit lined with porous bone marrow that helps generate blood cells, slowing your need to feed, and then a UV lace sword to carve up vamps, and then a helmet, um, I guess not only protects her face, but I don't really know why else <laughs> there's a helmet with a, a shield on it, but um, but he says basically you're a walking, talking battle coffin. Um, and Forge is like, good job, and then Louis gives him a kiss on the cheek. Forge gives Wolverine a hard time that, you know, why are you trying so hard for this lady? Is she that good in the sack? And Wolverine's like, it's not that way. And Forge is like, sure it is, bub. Um, Anyway, he blushes when he gets a kiss on the cheek, and and Sage, you know, says, Wolverine, come to the point immediately, and Omega Red is there, and of course Wolverine pops his claws, and then Beast is like, no, 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 and we get a nice snack where he says, all right, you got my attention, keep talking, and so Omega Red has a plan, and, you know, we're going to give Dracula Wolverine. And there's more to the plan, and we're not told yet, because Percy has to save it, so it can be revealed to us as it's revealed to the bad guys. You know, it's pretty pretty typical standard uh, suspense plot. It's pretty cool. Um, so we go to the catacombs of Paris, and Dracula is here. He's having his big reveal. He talks about, basically catches up the story, right? We had the blood clocks, and that worked, but we wanted, you know, it allowed us to walk in the day with a little bit of Wolverine's blood, but now, you know, now we can have a, a full bank of Wolverine, and, you know, we'll, we'll experiment on this, the Chosen to have Wolverine's blood, and that's what we're going to do. But then the people that take Wolverine's blood start having this really bad headache, and we find out what the rest of the plan was, so they basically clone a Wolverine with like no brain powers like just a, a a body and then they add some like what are they saying um photonic cells from plankton that produce their own luminescence They're basically the to put light inside the vampires when they get Wolverine's blood 
And of course, Wolverine's very like, I'm not sure about this, but Beast, of course, is like, oh no, what a chance to do something un unethical in science? I'm, I'm all over it. Because <laughs> that's who Beast is now. That's what he does. Um, so yeah, so basically they turn Wolverine into a dirty bomb, they say, for the vampires. Um, so then, you know, they have the, the, the dummy clone of Wolverine in the, in the science tank. And with the dead eyes, and then real Wolverine pops out and's like, "Hey, gotcha, bub!" And uh, they slice through these vampires. Uh, Louis has her UV sword, but of course, Dracula turns into a bat, flies away, and says, "Who's the monster now? You're a monster too!" And flap, flap, flap my wings away. Um, and then after it's all done, uh, Wolverine takes Louis to other world because instead of like, "Hey, let's figure out how." to maybe use my blood to cure you or or anything like that. I, actually, I think, I think while they're trying to figure things out, instead of her like having to fight turning into a vampire, they take her to Otherworld where the kingdom of Sevalith, um, which are the Otherworld in vampires, and you know, Wolverine says they're not like our vampires. They have like their own culture and, you know, they're... They're cool, man. <laughs> they even learn how to like have kids out of blood blood wombs. Um, so yeah, it's cool. And of course, Death is now their ruler. And some Wolverines like, um, hey, can you, can you help a bro out? And Death is like, you've come to the right place. Um, so and the story's pretty good. I feel like it's it's a nice resolution, but also kind of. I don't know, in an attempt to kind of catch everybody up, feels like it maybe repeated a few things. Cause I, I feel like, you know, Omega Red already, I, I thought the idea of like, let's just give Dracula what he wants has already been kind of tossed around, but it's treated like a new idea here. And maybe I'm just remembering wrong, but I thought they, they'd already been like, oh, by the way, we should give Dracula what they want. Hey, it's been a few minutes, we should give Dracula what he wants. Um, and, I don't know, and then Wolverine, though, when Omega Red shows up and pops his claws, but but they know their plan, their own plan, <laughs> right? That that Omega Red is unwittingly a double agent for them. So it's just it's just weird that he's, I mean, maybe he's trying to just keep up appearances, but I don't know, the snicks seemed a little much. Um, but overall, I thought the conclusion was pretty satisfying. Um, the art's still kind of bumming me out a little bit. I would have Right there, seeing Hubert draw this one, um, but it's it's good though. I mean, I feel like I'm being really nitpicky and, and shouldn't be because it's really it's really pretty good art overall. It's, I don't know, it's just some, I don't know. It's just not awesome art. It's really good art, but it's not awesome art. And I guess I just want the Wolverine book to have awesome art. <laughs> um, so um. You know, I think overall, I'll give Wolverine 12, uh, yeah, I kind of want, I think, I kind of want to just give it three out of six claws, but, yeah, I think I will, I think I will. I, it was good, I just didn't, I don't know, I don't know what's not hitting me about this one as much, but we'll see. Uh, I'm ready for the gala. <laughs> We'll see how that goes. I mean, I should be eating this up. Wolverine fighting vampires should be really good. And it's just pretty good. So, well, there you go. Wolverine number 12. Three out of six claws. Um, 
So next up, we're going to talk about Amazing Spider-Man. Remember, uh, Wolverine was in the end of the last story, and he has a cameo in number 66 as well, which is the start of the new story, Tangled Web. Um, actually, I think it's kind of just a prelude to uh, the Sinister War that's coming up. But um, anyway, this is written by Nick Spencer with pencils by Mark Bagley. Uh, John Dell does the inks. Brian Reber does the colors. This is Joe Caramagna does the letters. Um, the cover is by Bagley, Dell, and Reber. And the cover is Spider-Man with some webs swinging around and he's standing on top of a traffic light and with a city in the background. Um, it's pretty good. It's a fine cover, I guess. Not too amazing. Um... Alright, so in this one, it's just kind of a lot of catch-up. We see Baron Mordo. Uh, if you remember, he's kind of helping the Kingpin try to interrogate uh, the, the demon who's supposed to be Harry Osborn in, his, in the Ravencroft. Uh, Kingpin has brought his son, the Rose, back to life. Um, Mordo gets knocked out by the spot who Norman has promised uh, to break out of Ravencroft for helping him. And, of course, he sets his son free, and Harry or, um, oh gosh, what's his, not Scourge, that's not right. Oh my goodness, what's the demon's name in this story? Well, I, I can't remember anything tonight. Ah, Kindred, oh my goodness, Kindred, yeah, so... So Kindred plays into Norman's, what he'll call his weakness, and says, Yes, Dad, this is what I wanted for us to be together, whatever. But then, you know, puts his centipedes on him and uh, says, You're so weak. That's why I cured you. Um, so then uh, uh, Spider-Man kind of, the, the new Avengers, including Wolverine, kind of get on to him. And Wolverine's like, You're really just going to get up there and mope right now? And Spider-Man's like, Ugh. I trusted the, the boomerang and he betrayed me. I can't believe it. I really thought he really turned around. And But then the heroes are like, you know what? The kingpin may be mayor, so we've given him kind of, you know, maybe allowed him to feel untouchable. It's time to do something about this. We need to go after the kingpin. You know, he's, he's still running the criminal underground. Uh, he brought the rose back to life. The rose is big trouble. Um, you know, we we got to we got to do this. And Cage is like, it's time. And Spider Man's like, all right, I like this plan. And that's that's all we see in Wolverine. Then we have more uh, human interaction between Robertson and Tombstone. Of course, the kids are dating. Remember, and they they kind of call a truce. Then Mary Jane gets kidnapped by Overdrive, who says, "Hey, you got to help me help Carly." And she's like, "All right." And then. Um, J. Jonah Jameson gets mad at Spider-Man, so maybe their 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 relationship has been so positive the last little while, maybe taking a turn back to classic uh, J. 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 riding Spider-Man's butt. Uh, he's mad that Spider-Man turned off his feet at the end of uh, the last story, remember? Um, then just some more kind of personal stuff. Then we... Betty Brant's back in town. She's pregnant. And then Carly Cooper is in jail in Kindred's prison somewhere. And we see that at first I thought the reveal on the last page was Harry, but I think it's just Norman uh, in prison as well. And he says there's no escape on the last page. Um, 
story is pretty good. It's kind of a lot of catch up of like, here's what's going on here. Here's what's going on here. Here's what's going on here. Here's what's going on here as we get ready for new stories. Um, Bagley's art is fine. I, I really think you can just kind of embrace his 90s style with some 90s inks and just kind of do that. Um, it's current Bagley is current Bagley. There's, there's, there's flashes of good stuff. And there's some nostalgia to it, but I mean, it's fine. Um, I mean, it moves the story along. Okay, I guess. But it wasn't my favorite issue of this arc. And maybe I was in a bad mood tonight. <laughs> uh, maybe maybe I shouldn't have covered Heroes Reborn and went through all that again. Uh, but I'm going to give Amazing Spider-Man 66 3 out of 6 claws. I mean, it was fine. Um, Alright, so next up, and we'll probably mention this again when I talk with the Excaliburus, but uh, Gabby gets some moment to shine. And we even get a little Laura reference in New Mutants 18. So I want to talk about it just real fast. Um, New Mutants 18, which is... Let the Living Go On or Homecoming, uh, written by Vita Ayla. Art by Rod Reyes. Reyes. Uh, letters by VCs Travis Landon. Designed by Tom Mueller. Covered by Christian Ward. I've been digging these Christian Ward covers the last couple issues. Um... That Moonst- the Moonstar one was great, and then this one of Karma, uh, with a white background and just some psychedelic rabbit stuff behind her, and she's ready to put up her dukes. Remember, she, in the last issue, had asked Danny to be her partner in the Crucible. And that's kind of the, the, the crux of the story. And we actually get more clarification on what she's trying to do. I know uh, the Excalibros and I had, had kind of, were a little bit confused on why she wanted to go through the crucible we knew it had to do with her brother but th- this story does start off reminding us that her brother is kind of trapped inside her and they've tried with all the best telepaths and psychics to separate them and it hasn't worked and so the, the theory is if she dies they can resurrect Krakoa can resurrect them as two different people so that's what we're working under here. And so Danny's like, yeah, I'll help you. Um, and so after we kind of get caught up on that, th- but then Karma even has her own wrestling, like, my brother wasn't a very good dude. Do I really want him free on his own? But of course, ultimately decides that, yeah, she needs to you know, let him choose who he's going to be, and they can deal with that accordingly. I like that Silver Samurai is kind of the new Crucible referee since the apocalypse took off. Um... Pretty cool, gives him something to do. Uh, the fights between Moonstar and Karma are pretty great. Um, of course, we have our new mutant kids, our new new mutants, um, who are watching and they kind of get bored and uh, um, cause is not enjoying the fight. He doesn't really understand it and she wants to leave, so they do. And then Gabby approaches Thunderbird. And like, hey, I had this hypothetical. It's a real, it's a really fun interaction, which is like, what should I do? You know, hypothetically speaking, if I had a group of friends, and they're not doing anything illegal, not breaking any Cohen laws, right? I just don't think what they're doing is right. And I think they're being used and manipulated. And as someone who was manipulated for a large portion of my young life, I really don't want to see my, that happen to my friends. And Thunderbird's pretty much like. Uh, trust your instinct. If you need help, 
I, I got your back. She's like, no, no, it's only hypothetical. I don't need help because there's nothing to help me with, right? And, you know, and there's an interesting part where he goes, um, well, how come you don't ask Laura? And she's like, well, with the whole being in the vault forever and then coming back and then not remembering it, I just felt like she had a lot on her plate, which is fair. I do think Laura probably would have made time for her, and they don't play it like Laura didn't have time. They play it like Gabby didn't even really try because she's assumed and she didn't want to bother Laura, which yeah, I think is, is somewhat interesting. Um, but I really don't care because it allows us for this interaction. And I, you know, I think I tweeted this. Um, but yeah, I will. I will sign up now for my Gabby Proud Star team up book um, with you know, of course, Jonathan the Wolverine supporting cast. But I, I really thought this interaction between them was fun. Really enjoyed it. I'm glad they're both in this book together and hope they get to do more stuff together in the future in the book um but of course she's talking about the shadow king and is really bummed by you know what he's doing to her friends and she's kind of taken aback by uh proud star's advice he's like what do you think i was going to do like tell you exactly how to handle this he's like you you know you've been through a lot you've had a lot of experience i think you know what to do and um she's like okay and, but he, re, he reiterates again at the end, and it's really cool as he gets down on her level. He, like, kneels down. It's like talking to her eye to eye, which I really like. It's a subtle thing in the story, but it's really, really cool. Um, and at the end, before she leaves, he puts his hand on her shoulder and says, Hey, but remember, no matter what, I know I said it before, but no matter what, if you need our help, I'll help you. Just let me know. But if you don't, I trust you to take care of it. And she runs off, and she's like, Hey! Thanks! And gives him a thumbs up and she runs away. It's so Gabby. It's perfect. Um, so, uh, meanwhile, back in the actual Crucible part, which I guess is the main part of the story, um, you know, Donnie kind of gets on... I'm sorry, Danny. I always want to say Donnie because I used to mispronounce it that way when I was a little kid. Um, Danny gets on to Karma, says, you're not trying your hardest, and that's when she kind of realizes, you know what, I'm not. But I need to let my brother decide what he's going to do. And, and they do it, and so... In a very sweet scene, uh, Danny kills Karma um, and kind of stays with her as she breathes her last. Meanwhile, um, Gavin tries to call out her friends and says, Hey, the Shadow King's using you. Um, and then she compliments uh, No Girl for being able to transfer consciousness. Oh, no, sorry. Uh, Cos- Cosmar. For being able to transfer consciousness into bodies, even though there is from the the boneyard, and Gabby's like, "Well, you didn't ask them permission, but they're like, well, it's for science, and we're we're doing science." <laughs> um, there's some really interesting parts in the story that I think are definitely some commentary on on possible current events. Um, the the Vita definitely, you know, through their own experiences, probably channeling some of this, and it is, it comes off as really personal and really interesting, and also one of those things that, like, there's some dialogue here that fits in this story, but it's also universal to a lot of different things, um, and one of the things that the mutants talk about when Gabby confronts them is like, hey, don't tell us how to express our mutantness, just because, you know, you're fairly normal looking, and your powers don't really, are a little easier to control, right? Because all these mutants are struggling with bizarre physical appearance and powers that are hard to control and not hurt people. And 
And Gabby's like, okay, fair, but I just, I just want you to know, like, I was manipulating news. I know what it looks like, but they, they don't really have any of it. And even Wolf's Bang comes up, and of course we know that she, on the side, has maybe fallen under the Shadow King spell as well. He's like, hey, Gabby, come here. Let's talk about this. And maybe you're not wrong. Maybe you're taking the wrong approach. Why don't we go to the source? And she actually takes Gabby to see Shadow King. And Shadow King's like, hey, I hear you have something you'd like to ask me about. And Gabby just, as Gabby as can be, which is awesome, says, you don't scare me, Shadow King. I won't let you mess with my friends anymore. And she looks like she means it. And I think that's awesome. Um, then, of course, Karma is resurrected. What's interesting, and there's no mention at all in the celebration of whether her brother was resurrected or not. Whether she's free of her brother. I mean, there's, there's three options here, right? Three possible conclusions to the situation. One is they are truly resurrected as two different people, and her brother just is either not hatched yet, or is just somewhere else, right? It's possible. Uh, the second possibility is that Karma is resurrected, and her brother was separated, but they've chosen not to resurrect him at this time for any given reason, as they sometimes don't always, maybe got put back in the queue somewhere and he'll come later. Or, of course, the possibility is that the plan didn't really work, and Karma was resurrected and her brother is still inside her. We don't really get anything that tells us what's happening there. Um, so we get to speculate for, uh, you know, at least a few weeks, maybe longer, depending on whether they table that for the gala or not. I'm not sure. Um, as always, the art is amazing. And the story was really pretty good. Vita, they really did a great job with the scripting and tightening up the plot a little bit. Um, and it really works. I really enjoyed this issue. Uh, I really like the way they write Gabby. And, of course, I love the way that, that Rod draws everybody. Um, it's just an amazing, amazing, really good issue. I really enjoyed it quite a bit. And there, like I said, there's a lot of subtext for some other things that fit in the mutant analogy, right? And, and I really enjoyed seeing that. And I, you know, I, I will definitely talk about this a little bit more with the Excaliburs when we do our normal Reign of X books now. Um, but I just wanted to talk about it a little bit here because it was just something that really stuck out to me. And I, I think I'm going to go ahead and give this uh, six out of six claws. I really enjoyed it quite a bit. Probably, you know, we've we've all, I say we, the Excaliburs and I have enjoyed kind of the... The renaissance of the like saving the new mutants book a little bit <laughs> um but i think this one's probably the best issue so far and look forward to seeing what else happens in this book i'm really really digging it so so probably definitely my, my favorite of the issues we're going to talk about this episode so closing out don't want to leave docking out we're going to talk about x factor number nine which is the second to last issue now i will say I have not personally loved this book. I mean, the Scalbros didn't really want to cover it anymore. And I've kind of covered it just barely, you know, because Doc is still in it and because I like the art by Valdeon. Um, I have not loved this book. And personally, from a plotting and just how the story is going... I wasn't really all that bummed by being canceled. But I'm, I'm kind of a couple of different minds, though. For, well, first of all, 
you know, Lee Williams is going to write the trial Magneto. It's going to involve the X-Factor characters. I'm assuming if X-Factor doesn't relaunch as the same title, that there'll be something after the trial that involves, that Lee and Williams will have a book with these characters doing something. So I don't think the cancellation is like an end-all, be-all anyway. But even if it was, I do understand, right, that this book is important because of the representation in the characters. Um, you know, and, and now we're in Pride Month, so even even more so to talk about, you know, to the LGBT community, is, is, this is an important book. And so I understand why there's maybe some different connections there to some of the writing um, with these characters specifically. Um, that is, maybe allows them to either enjoy the plot more or to overlook some of the, the shortcomings in the plot because they just really enjoy the representation and seeing their characters. Um, and, you know, I, I'm glad there was a book that had that. I mean, this was a mostly queer book with the characters, and I, I think that's cool that that existed. So from that regard, I'm kind of bummed that we don't have that, at least immediately, anymore. So the cancellation... I guess what I'm trying to say is it's a, compl- it's a little complicated, but I I won't necessarily miss reading X-Factor, but I will miss that X-Factor and its lineup of characters existed as a book that was important for representation reasons, and, and in that regard, I'm, I'm bummed that it is canceled, like I said, even if only temporarily. But X-Factor number nine um, is... Death's final song, or the 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 operatic entitled interlude, DJ Mark's mixtape, a Mojo verse beats to make out to, and it's written by Lee Williams, uh, art by David Baldion, colors by Israel Silva, letters by VCs Joe Caramagna, designed by Tom Mueller, and the covers by Yvonne Chavrin. And I haven't really enjoyed his covers. This one's not really an exception. There's a Mojoverse concert with Dazzler and Lila Cheney. There are X-Factor guys in the audience glaring at the camera, trying to figure out what's going on. And it's not that good. I don't really like it. So, last time we defeated, or kind of defeated, the, um, not the, the Morrigan. But now, this time, uh, they're trying to figure out, you know, how it happens. And they're going to Siren's memory. There's this cool, like, gnarly eyeball um, inside. And, um, yeah, so again, another kind of trip inside someone's brain. Uh, Rachel was leading the expedition. Polaris is outside kind of watching over the over it. Um, there's a fun part where Kyle comes in and and talks through Polaris and Rachel to Northstar about dinner plans. <laughs> it's pretty fun, pretty funny. Um, but yeah, they're kind of running through, and there's a part where they get into this big, like, black heart, and they're like, this is where Siren's memories end and Morgan's memories begin. And, um, yeah, so they go in there, and there's this big, there's, like, another clue and, you know, code. Then they kind of come out, and they, so basically the riddle points to that Shatterstar is, for some reason, just because plot, uh, the key to permanently defeating the Morrigan, or preventing them from coming back, or whatever, I don't, I don't really even understand if what they did last issue didn't win. 
I guess I, I, I kind of didn't really catch what they're trying to do now. But Shatterstar is the key. So they're going to go to Mojoverse and try to rescue Shatterstar. Um, and so that's what they do. And there's a big Dazzler concert where she's singing a song about something. And Magic goes to Mojoverse and threatens Mojo with her soul sword. And that seems to do the trick. So they free Shatterstar and he comes back. Um, and he, what does he do? He goes somewhere. He's going back in their mind as well. I'm not real sure what the artist is telling me. But he goes in to Siren. I guess he does go and he uses his sword and he cuts them apart mentally. And then the Morgan's fighting Siren, but Shatterstar goes in and, and defeats her. And then we have like some ancient looking art that retells the story where Shatterstar is like this big white bull and and the prophecy in the horn stat impales the Morrigan in, in real life or mental life, whatever. Uh, Shatterstar stabs her with his double swords and that's it. But he, I guess he also is also Siren physically? I, I don't really know. It's so confusing, but the Morgan leaves Siren and goes into Shatterstar and um, Richter. And, you know, we get flashbacks of the romance, which is cool. I know a lot of people are really glad to see that. Um, and, but somehow the Morgan is infiltrating both of them to be continued. I, I don't know. It's very, very possible that I'm just not reading this hard enough, but I'm I'm just not really sure what's going on in the story all the time. Like, I get the basic gist of it, right? The war against this force. Last time we kind of kicked her out, but I guess not really. And now Shatterstar finishes the job, but then in doing so, gets infected with it, possibly, maybe. Um, again, the art's really good. Uh, probably not as mind-blowingly, psychedelically awesome as last issue, but it's still pretty good here. Um... Yeah, I don't know. I didn't really enjoy reading it, though. <laughs> and Doc, and, he just kind of walks around. He does a couple of snicks, and that's about it. Um, the colors look great, of course. Israel Silva is a fantastic colorist. Um, I want to give an extra points just for bringing Shatterstar back, because I know a lot of people are excited, but I don't really have that nostalgia, because I miss most of that. And we'll have to go back and read it at some point. Um, gosh, I, I'm afraid I'm going to in, incur the wrath of some people, but I'm going to give X Factor number nine two out of six claws. It just, it wasn't for me. Um, but yeah, that's going to wrap up our episode. So, hope you enjoyed it, and next up will be a flashback episode with a very special returning guest. Should be a great listen for you longtime fans. Hopefully we'll get a big kick out of it. And then after that, we will hopefully get back, hopefully soon, to Reign of X issues with the Excalibros. If not, I have a couple of whoppers of flashback episodes coming up after the next one. Uh, I think between the two of them, I'm going to read like 70 comics or something like that. It's kind of insane. Uh, so I have a lot of reading to do for the next 
two flashbacks that haven't been recorded. The next one's already been recorded, so it's ready to go. You know, uh, I'll wait the allotted amount of time after this is live, and then I'll post it, and it'll be good. Um, well, anyway, uh, as always, with the podcast and go Snick, you can like the Facebook page. Twitter is at SnickCast. Show notes and stuff are at SnickCast.Podbean.com. And as always, everyone, guys, please stay well, stay safe. Um, enjoy your summer as we're getting into that. And, um, and yeah, until next time, everyone, hugs and snicks. Bye-bye. And snacked. <laughs>